We're continuing in the book of Ephesians with our series called Vision. Last week, we were in chapter 4, and we got up to verse 6. And this is one of those areas where going through the Bible, it it kind of becomes problematic because you start losing momentum of what was the intention of Paul, because he's not trying to give us just little snippets. He's really presenting a thought, and he's trying to develop that thought. And sometimes when we stop and pause a week, you start to lose the momentum of that thought. And that's really kind of what happens here in the case. But let's read all the way from uh, verse 1 through 16 so we can kind of, again, capture all that Paul is trying to say to us. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pause and pray. Lord, I ask for wisdom as I share from these passages. And then I pray, God, that our hearts would be hungry to hear what you would want for us. And Lord, that we would have the clarity in the understanding of the things that Paul is writing here and how important they are to each one of us here. Lord, bless our time together, we pray. And I do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul is trying to help us understand that we are in this together, that We are united, but there is a characteristic that is a part of this unity that we share. And as he talks about one faith, he he didn't mean one doctrinal statement. It's really our trust in Jesus. That is our faith. Break it up in all the other things and all the little, you know, things that we hold on to, really what it is about is us trusting Jesus. That's what we share in common. It's the one thing that God wants for us all. The one baptism, again, is a recognition of that central initiative, that right that we kind of are initiated into. It's something that we entered life, the life of God through the same door. The baptism is the death of ourselves, life to God. The one God and Father, we talked about us being children who belong to the same Father, that we have this in common. And a huge piece, again, of this Christian spirituality is trying to see the face of Jesus everywhere and in everyone. 
recognizing that he is our father. And that's, again, while he goes into that all in all, we are recognizing that he's wanting us to see God in the other person. He's wanting us to be unified. Again, Paul spoke more about unity than he did salvation. But when you listen to Christian radio, you don't hear that. It's all about salvation, or not all about, but excuse me, I don't want to sound jaded. It's a lot about that. It's all about how do you get saved? How do you get saved? When Paul was really, how do you get unified? Yeah, salvation is important. Justification, sanctification are important, but he talked more about unity. And here's one of the places where he, he is talking about. And so he tells us that we have to have this spiritual practice, the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual exercise. It's a behavior that promotes, that reinforces, that externalizes that inner spiritual life, right? And this practice we talked about is surprisingly very social. How do you know a person is spiritual? Well, he tells us those those things that are important for us to understand that we are to make every effort in these areas to be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so this spiritual manifestation shows up in a a social setting. And the one practice Paul has focused on is being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so that's kind of what we talked about last week. And then he he jumps in to verse 7, which is interesting because he's talking about one, 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 all. And then in verse 7 he goes, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And all of a sudden he moves to the each of us. And so I was thinking, why is unity for the church so difficult? Why isn't it obvious? Why are there so many divisions among this umbrella of Christianity? Whether it be denominational, but even in the denominations, you've got divisions in the Baptist denomination. You've got divisions in a Pentecostal denomination. You've got divisions in the Catholic denominations. You've got so many divisions. And you see, the big challenge to unity is our differences. We're not all the same. And God is not trying to make us all the same. Uniformity is different than unity. And what Paul starts to move towards here is to show that even though we are to be unified, you're not all the same. And that's not a bad thing, it's actually a good thing. That this unity is an important thing, but it's to be held with the differences that each one of us holds. Suddenly, Paul shifts to a different perspective so that instead of just seeing unity, he's actually seeing diversity. Instead of one body, we're now looking at each one of us. And our oneness seems to disappear. We're not all the same and God doesn't treat us all the same. So whatever unity we have, it's not based on sameness nor on our similarities or our agreement. And that's important that we understand that. That you don't have to agree with everything someone holds on to to have unity with that person. And you might think, oh no, that's not true. We need to have that same agreement. Let me ask you in your relationships, is that true? Those of you who are married, husband and wife, do you agree with everything? Do you say everything the same? Raising children. Adelia, did you raise children the same way as Mary? No. She was the hard one, I know. You were the, yeah, that's right. We, we do it differently. But there's still this unity. We're still husband and wife, friends, sisters, brothers, whatever the relational aspect is. There's unity, but we see things different. And we accept that in the familial setting. 
But for some reason, we don't accept that in the church setting. We want everyone to think like we do. There, there is not one Christian personality type that we all have to mimic or squeeze ourselves into. And so much effort is made to do that. We have our own genre of music. There's Christian music. We have our own genre of clothing. There's Christian clothing. And I talked about this quite often. You know, clothing can't be Christian. You can have a Christian message, but only people can represent Christ. Clothes don't represent Christ. Music doesn't represent Christ. It can talk about Christ. But we've segregated ourselves from society and we want to have this kind of unifying image and then we have problems because we don't all fit into that image i remember one time it was right over here i was just coming out of starbucks just because i every now and then that happens and i was coming out of starbucks and there was a guy who i knew who went to a church i had gone to and he was in his car and he was listening to music and i like stopped and I like waved at him and he was into his music, you know, and he didn't hear me. And I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden he saw me and he's like, oh, and he was like surprised, you know, because he's into his music and he rolled down his window and goes, oh, I'm sorry. I was into my music, but, but it was Christian. And I was like, okay. You know, I was listening to K-Rock at the time, you know, but I'm glad you were listening to your Christian. I just wanted to say hello. It was almost as if he wanted me to, to feel that he was you know, I'm okay listening to this music. I, I fit the mold. And that isn't the idea of unity. And that isn't the intention of what Paul is wanting us to do. He's not wanting us all to be the same or, or to squeeze into this mold. You see, unity without uniformity, diversity without division is important to understand and to be able to embrace. I don't have to agree with everything that you believe to be your brother, to be your sister, to be your friend, to be a part of the body of Christ. If ever there is going to be peace, not only in the world, but in the church, this is the only way it will be able to exist, is if we accept each other's differences and show respect on these things. You don't have to believe everything the same. If you have the same Father, if you trust Jesus for your life, you can do things differently and still be a part of the family. The pluralism and multiculturalism of our world requires that we share a unity that allows diversity. It would be an amazing thing if the church led the way in this, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if people saw how the world could exist by seeing how we who follow Christ could exist? It is so awkward for me when I go to Haiti and I speak because I don't speak Creole and I need an interpreter, one thing, and I'm in a totally different culture. It's more so than when I'm in Mexico and speaking, because I have a little bit more familiarity with that. When I go to Haiti, you know, how do you, what illustrations do you use? Because the things that, you know, when I was going to Starbucks and they messed my order up means nothing in Haiti, right? Starbucks, what? What is that? You know, you're living in a totally different world. And so I go there and I'm totally out of my element. I'm one of the few white people there. Don't speak the language. And not only that, I'm in an Episcopal church. I got the priest with the collar. I'm sitting in the front on this seat. All these people are staring at me because I'm like the big screen TV in Haiti, right? It's like, hey, look at that white guy up there. You know, there's none other. That's me. I'm there. I'm there. I don't speak the language. You know, I'm dressed differently, just a button shirt, but, you know, I don't have the robe or anything. So I'm standing out and I don't like they stand up. Okay, I'll stand up. They sit. Okay, I guess I'm, I'm kind of like lost. I'm just looking for someone and they're gracious. They're like, okay, yeah, follow us. Okay, thank you. We're leaving now, you know, and I'll walk out and it's just so different. 
And I feel so out of place, but I also love it. I love extending myself to this place where I am with some people who are so different than me in so many ways, but we can have something in common. Where we can share in something that is still meaningful. And it's all these things that Paul has talked about. How does this spirituality show up? It's being completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep unity and spirit through peace. That's the spirituality that shows up. And so it doesn't matter if I'm in Haiti in an Episcopal church where everyone is doing things different than I do them. I can still be a part of this unity. And we have lost that and we need to lead the way in what this looks like. And then Paul goes on and he quotes the psalmist. He says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to them. And when he quotes this psalm, Paul had to really look for a translation that suited his purpose here and had to suit for both the Hebrew as well as for the Greek. And for this translation, for both of them, what he did is he actually chose the Aramaic translation, the Septuagint, which was the commonly used translation in Israel at that time. And it reads that he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to people, his people. And you see, Jesus descended into the depths of our human situation. He stepped into humanity. I don't believe he's talking about Jesus descended into hell here. I believe we're talking about Jesus came from heaven and stepped into the place where we live, where we dwell. Jesus descended into the depths of our human situation, the frustrations, the loneliness, the confusion, the suffering, all that entails being human, Jesus stepped into this. He gave gifts to his people. He gave himself to his people. He gives himself. It is Christ himself who is received. And he gives gifts to his church and through the people who make up the church. Your gifts make you a gift to others. See, God's agenda for the world is the church. That's why unity is so important because we are all to be able to represent who God is. And there's no single culture that can take claim to that. There is no single individual or type of person who can take claim to that. It requires his body. That's why the church is described in that way. It describes all of us. And so when he gives gifts to his people, you receive a gift by receiving Jesus, but then you become a gift to the world. You are part of what God is going to use to bring about change in the world around us. You are a gift Jesus has given to the community you live in. And he's given you gifts that make you, your participation, very valuable to other people around you. And although everyone's participation is unique, we function as one and move towards one goal. This is the purpose of the church. This is why it's important that we are unified is because we contribute something to the community we live in and belong to. What would happen if everyone who went to whatever church they went to saw themselves as being a gift to that community of faith, what would happen if everyone who stepped in on a Sunday morning said, I am here to contribute. I have something to give. 
to this community and believed that and went there with the intention of actually giving something to somebody, whatever it is. That's why Paul in Corinthians says, when you gather together, some of you have a song, some of you had a word, each one of you has something to give. You see, it's changed. Now when we go to church, we go to listen. I'm going to hear someone saying, oh, that was great. I'm going to go hear someone's talk. That was okay. I'm going to, you know, I mean, it's, it's like we have this kind of mindset that we're going, but we're not really participating. And it doesn't mean everyone gets up on the stage and shares, but everyone is there and has something to contribute. What would happen if everyone believed that that was the truth? It would change the whole dynamic of what church is. It would make it exciting. You know, it's kind of funny when you're in a position of leadership. It's like you're vested in whatever that is. Sunday morning comes, and I'm thinking, i got to have something to say. You know, and I kind of panic sometimes. It's like, okay... Am I going to say something good? You know, I, I know it'll be true, but will it be good? You know, I want it to, to have an effect on people. And so I, I'm vested in this. I, I want to make sure that whatever I'm taking in and, and sharing with people can, can encourage them, can inspire them, can provoke them to love and to good works. And I'm, I'm vested in that thing because I have to stand up here. I don't get up on a Sunday morning and think, uh, I don't think I'm going to make it today. I just, I didn't get in till late. I was driving all day yesterday. I'm going to call Gil. Gil, I'm not going to be there Sunday. What would happen? Some, Gil would probably say, well, I'm not either, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like there's a certain amount of dependence on me, but I don't look at it as like, well, I have to be there. I, I, I desire to give what I'm, <laughs> trying to to the people there but what happened if everyone had that feeling see how many people don't go to church on sunday because they think oh, i was up late last night well i was too but i i have something i want to give what if everyone felt like i want to be there because i have something i want to give I have a smile and a, a, a friendly voice that I can give to somebody. I, I have, I thought about someone the other day and I want, I want to see them Sunday so that I could share the things that are on my heart about them and their situation because I, I'm part of their life. I, I'm, I'm there and I want to see what's going to take place. If everyone saw themselves as being a part of this, how would it change the dynamic of who we are? Not just as Genesis, but as the church. Imagine that. Every church in these areas, if everyone who went there felt that they had something to contribute and saw it as important to be there to contribute, it'd be revolutionary. And that's why our statement, you don't go to church, you are the church. It's so important and we need to grasp hold of this, that he's given you gifts that make your participation valuable to others. And we're moving in this direction. And so he has descended, Christ himself gave now, verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul provides some examples, and he chooses those that would be most familiar to the people who would be reading this, at least familiar to Christians at that place and that time. And we might think of each gift as a personal, spiritual, and social style. This is not exhaustive list of all the things that God has given. Because Paul lists in other places in Corinthians other things besides these listed here. But he starts giving some things that are important. A style that includes certain insights, certain skills, uh, proven effectiveness. And I make this suggestion because 
unqualified people can be placed in religious offices that actually are a detriment to the church. There are people who are pastors, who are teachers, who shouldn't be. That's true in every facet of life. There are school teachers that shouldn't be school teachers. Some of you have had those, right? I remember our kids when they went to school. I remember, remember our daughter was in this one uh, teacher's classroom, and she sat down with Corrine and I and was talking about our daughter, Lauren, and she says, well, she's not one of our smarter bunnies. I, had a, I thought I was going to have to hold Corrine back as she's going to rip her head off, like, what are you saying about my daughter? The same teacher, the year before, our son, one of our boys, had to go into a special uh, reading class because he was dyslexic. And so he had a hard time reading. And so he went into this special class. And I forget, they had a name of the class. And basically, they met in this little closet area. And all the kids knew if you went to this thing, you know, you were one of these kids who had problems. And so it was kind of this stigma already. And the teacher called us, well, we have to go meet with this teacher. And so we go in there to meet with this teacher who we kind of had some issues with how she saw and dealt with some of the kids. And so we go in there and we sit down and here's the specialist who's dealing with our son. Here's the teacher who called my daughter a slow bunny. That's what she called her. She's one of the slower bunnies. Exactly. That's, that's what I thought. And so we're sitting there and then the, the specialist looks at us and he goes, whatever you're doing, don't change a thing. He's a wonderful kid. And I just felt like, <laughs> slow bunny, you. Uh, what's my point? My point is there, there are people who are in positions who shouldn't be in those positions. And that's true even in the church. And so just because they have these titles doesn't mean they're qualified for the position. And we need to see that a person who is qualified doesn't need the title or hold the position. A teacher will teach with or without the label. A pastor will lead with or without the title. And so it's important to recognize there's something that goes beyond just the title. Now, I know a lot of people, because I don't like titles, I don't choose to call myself Pastor Sam. Okay, And when people say, oh, hi, pastor, it's like, you can call me Sam. I don't, I'm not mad if you call me pastor. Some people, oh, I know you don't like that. It's like, I don't really care. I just don't want you to see a title. I want you to see that there is something beyond the title. There is a purpose that is socially connected to what the community needs that the title is fulfilling. Not the title, but the person is fulfilling, and we just give it that title. And the list goes on and on, right? And somewhere on it, this list, if we were to keep going on, besides, okay, apostles, apostle, you know, that's kind of a special one. Why? Because that was a person who had to see the resurrection, To be an apostle, you had to be there. So that was unique group. That was kind of who we were built on top because these people saw, they walked with Jesus, they saw him rise again. They were the eyewitnesses. They were the ones that were needed. And then everything else is built on top of that. But if you were to go past apostles, if you were to go past the pastors, the teachers, and all these things, you would eventually come to a title that is yours. The whole point is God has given what the church needs and you are part of that. So even though you might not see a title here, well, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, I am something. I I do fit in the list that God has. Because I've been gifted by God to be a gift to the people of God in some way or another. And I think that's probably the biggest struggle is everyone wanting to know, well, where do I fit? And that's why I dislike lists so much because we, we see these things and they can be so limiting. 
And we think, well, that's all there is. I I don't fit on any of those lists. It's just like our core value when we say creativity is the natural result of spirituality. People freak out at the word creativity. I'm not creative. I'm not creative. And yet every one of us are creative to some degree or another. Yeah, you might not be able to paint or play music or or sing or, you know, do poetry. The things that we associate with creativity but you can create a mood. You can create a, a group. You know, I, I've shared before, Rick Garbedian goes, I'm not creative, I'm not. He creates a whole group of guys that would go bike riding. He started that. He created that. He is creative. He just doesn't see it in that sense. And so we fit in a list, whatever the title is, I don't know. You're in this list somewhere down the line. It goes on and on and on. This is not an exhaustive list. You're, you're a gift to the body of Christ. And it's important that we see that. Because he says in verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. These people are given to equip people so that they can serve people. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Think of the spiritual community as a construction project. We're going to build something. There's various subcontractors. You know, you hire a subcontractor to go and do the grading, to get the land to the right levels to compact it so that when you build on it, there's no sinkholes or anything on that. So the subs do the grading and then those who prepare the foundation and then you get the framers, you get the electricians, you get the plumbing, you get everyone, all these other subs come in and they start building on these things. It's important that we are equipped, that is given help with the tools, the training and experience that we need. And so what I want to try and do is equip you to recognize you're a part of the work. You might be a framer. You might be an electrician. You might do landscaping. You might do tile. There's a million things that are involved. You're a part of it. And we need to recognize that. It's important that we are equipped Then we turn and help others, which is our work of service. The idea of service is is serving others. We do this in simple ways that may not seem spiritual at all. Again, the labels. Well, do you sing? Do you, you know, teach? Do you, well, no, all I do is listen. Oh my gosh. Are you valuable? There are some people who just want to talk and need someone to listen. And then there's people like me who have ADHD and five minutes into you talking, I'm like, okay, well, oh, you're talking to me? I'm sorry. I was thinking about something. I, I'm not always a good listener. And you might think, well, listening isn't a spiritual act. Oh, yes, it is. Caring. See, one of my wife's top strengths in the Strengths Finders is empathy. She sees someone and she feels for them. If there's someone by their by themselves, she cannot handle it. And then she tells me that person's by themselves. I'm like, what person? That person. They're just sitting there by themselves. No one's gone up and said hello. Like, oh, I'm like, so <laughs> I'm just. And she's like, well, why don't you go say hello? I'm like, why don't you? You have the empathy. And she will. She cannot sit there and let it go by. Because that's part of her gift, is the ability to have empathy. She's also inclusive. She wants to include people. And I need to hear from her because I'm not empathetic. Not like she is. So she helps me to see things that I can't see. I don't see. We need each other. 
to complete this work that God is wanting to do with and through us. In Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How did Jesus illustrate the service? In John 13, 12, he says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. So when we serve one another in some capacity, washing feet, it's a spiritual service. You're a part of this list that Paul is explaining. You are a part of the work that God is doing in his church. You're a part of that. Now, this doesn't mean that it's your job to fix people. When you serve people, it doesn't mean you always have to fix them. All this construction goes on to the building up of the body of Christ, working and serving each other and together The community fulfills the destiny, but it's not your job to fix everybody that comes along. I can't tell you how freeing that is to know. Do you remember when the the brother came to Jesus and said, Jesus, who should get the inheritance between my brother and I? And Jesus says, who am I to settle your debts? He didn't think he had to answer every problem in every situation. It was very freeing when someone came up to me and needed counseling and I could say, I think you should go see a counselor who can help you with that. I don't have to answer all your questions. I'm not the guy. There's some things that some people can do a lot better than me and I'd rather you get better advice than what I can give. I don't have to be the answer and fix all to everything that comes my way. Neither do you. There are times where you can say, hey, I don't know. Let's go find something. Let's go find somebody. You know, we're trying to develop a celebrate recovery group here because there's a lot of people who have addictions and have problems. It's not just chemical or alcohol. There's a lot of things out there, codependency issues. And there are people who know how to deal with those things a lot better than some of us. And so we can use some guidance to help lead us in helping people who are in these areas. And I'm happy to see people develop in these areas. Why? Because I don't think I have to do it all. I can remember sitting in counseling places with a pastor and someone would come in and they would ask the pastor about advice on a financial situation and the pastor would give some advice and I'd be thinking, I don't know if that's good advice, but he's the pastor. Yeah, but he's not a financial advisor. And there are so many times where people hear these things and they think, well, it's the pastor, so he's on the list. That way, I guess i got to listen to him. Well, again, we're here to serve each other in the ways that we can and the ways that we qualify to better serve each other. You don't have to do everything. I don't have to do everything. All of us move forward together from unity and faith and knowing Jesus to becoming a mature person. This is defined as the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature person. Okay? And Jesus, remember it said that he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Luke 2.52 Jesus in his fullness physically visits the earth today in and through the church. And as the church grows, Jesus' work grows through his people. It's important to recognize that we are a part of that work. You know, we could waste time and mourn how we fall short of this, or we can just keep plugging away at it. I, I think of all the mistakes I have made, and I know I'm going to make. And there's times I look back and I just like, oh, what 
was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I invest in this or that or whatnot? And I look back and I could just get paralyzed by the mistakes I've made. But I don't want to be paralyzed. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to let the fear of making a mistake keep me from doing something. And I think some of us are so afraid to make a mistake that we do nothing. And we have to realize that we're, we're growing, we're maturing. Part of maturing is learning. When I train dogs, one of the things I say is you can't correct what you can't catch. If you're potty training your dog, your dog's going to have an accident. He's going to go to the bathroom in the house that's your opportunity to teach him not to. If you can't handle that, then you shouldn't have a dog because that's part of the training. You are going to make mistakes. Recognize it. Don't let it paralyze you and move forward in spite of those things. Keep plugging away because you're too valuable to give up. You're too important to quit. What would happen if the quarterback threw an interception and he goes, I'm not going in again. Man, no, I threw that pass away. You don't see that. The guys who step in are the guys who say, okay, I want to get in there and change the game. I'm going to make a better throw next time. And some of these guys have terrible games. Some of the best quarterbacks have had awful games. Some of the best batters strike out seven out of ten times. And they're good. If you bat 300, you're good. See, making the mistakes shouldn't stop you from moving forward. You've got to keep going away, plugging away in it. Verse 14, he says, Then we will no longer be infants. Why? Because we keep plugging away. We keep moving towards this fullness of the measure of Christ. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. There's a price to pay for not growing to maturity. If you don't grow up, it is debilitating. It's crippling. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. Later on in in chapter 14, verse 20, he says, Do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. In other words, be innocent, but in your thinking be mature. And so he's wanting this development to take place. Spiritual immaturity includes being tossed around, swayed by doctrinal fads, uh, charming character, people who want to basically use you. A lot of immature people, as far as faith is concerned, live in a state of dependency on religious leaders. They want someone to tell them what to do. And now that person has the ability to take control of their life. And that's immature. You should be in control of your life, not a religious leader. Again, one of our core values is uh, structure must always yield to spirituality or to the spirit. Structure must always yield to the Spirit. What does that mean? It means God works through people, not through structures. So the people will decide what the structure looks like, not the other way around. How many times are there churches built with structure? This is, we need someone here, we need someone here. You go here, you go here, you. I can remember one time, you know, it was like children's ministry was always the, it's always a need. And so we needed someone to do music for the kids. And I remember this mentality was, well, if you start with the kids, then you can work your way to the adults. It's like a punishment for the kids, right? 
and they put this guy in with the kids and the teacher came up to me and goes, he's terrible. It's like, why are you doing this to us? He's terrible. He's angry at the kids because the kids don't sing along and the kids can't sing along because he's terrible. It's punishment to the kids. Don't just put someone there. People need to fit into the positions that they are qualified for, not just placed there. Otherwise, it's frustrating. And so a lot of people are dependent on this authoritative leader telling them what to do. A lot of churches, I'm trying not to be skeptical. I'm trying to, Korean always says, smile when you talk about these things. There are a lot of places where you go and all the pastor does is blast people. You're not praying enough. You're not reading enough. You're not doing enough for God. And if I were to get up here tonight and I'd say, you guys, you are just not reading your Bibles enough. Who here would stand up and go, no, I am. I'm reading my Bible enough. You guys, you're not praying enough. Who's going to stand up and go, yeah, I am. I'm praying enough. Right? We all could say, well, yeah, I guess I could pray more. I guess I could do more. But these people who are in positions of leadership just start hammering people. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. You got to get better. You got to be holier. And they just keep telling people what they need to do. And people start coming into the place where I need you to tell me that I need to do more instead of trying to unleash people to recognize that you can do so much. God has equipped you to do so much. I'm not here to blast you and tell you you're not doing enough. I'm here to tell you you can do so much. But some people just want people to tell them what to do. And then what happens is when the pastor falls and you find out, oh, he had an affair or something like that, people are devastated. Why? Because they put so much esteem in them. And he was just a man. She was just a woman. They were just like you, just like me. But you put them on a pedestal. We want them to give us the answers. We want them to control our life. And it's part of this brokenness that we have. You see, maturity is you taking responsible for your responsibility for your life, not someone telling you what to do with it. Maturity is you taking ownership of your life, not giving it to a pastor or a priest or a leader. The hard truth is that there are deceptive and spirit, deceptive spiritual leaders. There are people who are in it for the money. There are people who are in it for the power. Some are intentionally deceptive. Some are unintentionally. Some people, that's just how they learned and that's what they do but they're just as dangerous. How are they tricky? How are they crafty? How are they deceptive? Well, a lot of times people are manipulative. Everything is about control. They want to take control over your life. The only one who should have control over your life is you. I know you're thinking, no, it should be God, right? God has given you control over your life. What are you going to do with the control God has given you? You're going to yield to what God wants from you or are you going to give it away to someone else? What is spiritual maturity? It's growing up so that you take responsibility for your importance in the body of Christ. Others are not to take control of that. A lot of people will spin the truth. They'll misuse scripture. They'll quote a string of scriptures, different verses, to prove an idea that's just their idea. And it's amazing because so many times traditions can sound really good. Well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, but that's a human tradition. And so, for example... Oftentimes when I'm at different conferences speaking, I'll hear a pastor say that Paul said that he did not cease to give you the whole counsel, full counsel of God. 
that when I was with you, I didn't cease to give you the full counsel of God. Then the pastor will go on and say that the full counsel of God is the entirety of the Bible, the scripture. Or they'll say, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword in Hebrews. And they'll hand their Bible. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You need to be in your word. I like that. Yeah, you need to be in, I can get into it. You need to be into the word. The word says, the word says. But that's not an accurate, it's not really what the scripture is saying in that passage. Either of those passages. The full counsel of God. It couldn't have been the entirety of the Bible. The Bible wasn't written at the time when Paul was there in Acts. Most of the New Testament wasn't there. Paul didn't even require the Gentile churches to learn the Hebrew scriptures. Scripture's so valuable. It's God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, so the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped. I'm not taking away from the Scripture. All I'm trying to do is point out a tradition that sounds good, that we hold on to, and then when someone doesn't act according to that, we label them. The Word of God is alive and powerful, If the word of God cannot be the scripture in that passage of Hebrews, what is it? It's the gospel. And so I don't think people intentionally are trying to deceive people when they say that. I think they believe that, but I think it's a misinterpretation of the scripture. But you see, when I say something like that, I've been blasted for saying that. I've been accused of being all kinds of stuff, emergent and whatnot, and I go, I'm just saying what the Scripture says. But you see, it sounded real good in our tradition, even though it wasn't accurate. And so we have to be careful that we don't misuse Scripture because it fits in with how we're used to doing things. And we have to be willing to look at things and say, you know what, I was wrong. See, it's okay It's okay that you grew in your understanding of the scripture and of God. It's okay that you thought this way, but then you matured and now you think this way. It's okay. I hope I still mature. I hope I still learn more. I hope I still grow in my understanding of the scripture. I'm not going to stand here and say, you guys, I know what this book says. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. We all should be. But a lot of times, misusing Scripture, quoting a string of verses for what they want to mean. And I wonder sometimes if people realize that they're being deceptive, even though it seems good. He concludes here in verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, In contrast to being deceptive, Paul instructs them to speak the truth. The Greek word goes beyond speech. Truth isn't just about what comes out of your mouth. It's about what comes out of your heart. It's about your attitude. This implies that there is a consistency between what you believe to be true and your actions. You speak the truth in love means you live a life that is true. In love and not use truth as a weapon. Bless you. So many times we want to beat people with the truth. Instead of using truth in love. Recognizing that that's the only way that people really are going to be receptive. Scott Peck, a psychiatrist, says, remember that community is a state of being together in which people, instead of hiding behind their defenses, learn to lower them. Wouldn't it be great if church was a place where people could lower their defenses and say, I'm struggling with this. I have a problem with this and not be worried about judgment, condemnation, or being belittled. 
Wouldn't it be great if this was a place where if someone stumbled and fell, someone had an affair, that everyone would rally around them and say, hey, come on, let's get back up and let's move forward. Wouldn't it be a great place if we actually did the things that Jesus did, that we would speak the truth in love because we care about the people so much that it motivates everything we say and everything we do. It makes a huge difference in our relationships with one another when we communicate openly and with real concern for people. When I'm talking to them and not at them. When I care for them and don't just care about what they do. Years ago when we went up to the lake, I'm almost done here, on a vacation, I borrowed a friend's jet skis. He said, oh yeah, you can borrow the jet skis. And so we're so excited. Our family, we're going to have jet skis and we're going to go on the lake. And it was going to be fun. If you've ever been jet skiing, it's a blast. Last year we rented them and we had them, you know, but you got to pay all kinds of money. So we were going to borrow my friend's jet skis. He had two jet skis. We took them out on the water. We were getting them there. Two of my boys got on the jet skis, sitting there talking to them. Okay, this is what you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We know, yeah, we know. They get on the jet skis. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes. I hear, bam! Like, what was that? Look out! There's two jet skis sinking in the water, and my kids are out there. And so we get in the boat. Jeff, my cousin's husband, who passed away last year, get in the boat. We go driving out to them, we see them, and I see my two boys, and I see them, they're no blood, you know, I see them alive, but I see two jet skis sinking. And the first thing I said, what did you do? And right after I said that, Jeff said, are you guys okay? And it broke my heart. Because that should have been the first words out of my mouth. Now, I saw they're okay, but I was worried about my friend's jet skis, which were totaled, by the way, 15 minutes into the first day of a week vacation. And I said, what did you do? And he said, are you okay? What would happen if we cared more about the people than what they did? What if the first question we ask instead of what did you do is, are you okay? How would it change the response from those people? It makes a huge difference if they see we're concerned about them than just what they do. Their presentation. Verse 16 sums up everything. From him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love, there it is again, as each part does its work. Remember, the spiritual community is carefully assembled. Each member is a perfect fit. That means you are a perfect fit to what God is doing. You are vital. Every part participating in cooperation nurtures health. First, to those whom they have immediate contact with, the indirectly, the health of the entire body. And this is to help us to grow and mature. I can't overemphasize your importance to the work that God wants to do, whether it's at Genesis or whatever community you want to be a part of. There are times people will go and I'll be there and they'll say, hey, have you seen so-and-so? It's like, well, no, he's not here this morning. Oh, I was hoping to see him. And he didn't show up because he didn't think he was important, but someone came looking for them. There are times when people come up, oh, and I, hi, how, first time I've seen you, how are you? Oh, good. Yeah, I'm so-and-so's friend. Oh, yeah, they're not here today. See, they didn't come to see me. They didn't come to hear me. They came because their friend had invited them, but their friend's not here, and now they're feeling alone by themselves. 
And then I call him. I go, hey, your friend was here, but you weren't. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, whatever. You know, you're important. There are people who need you to be there. And if you're thinking, well, no, I'm not important. I, I don't really need to be there. You need to change how you see yourself. And more importantly, you need to see that you have something to give. Even if it's praying even if it's a smile, even if it's a say hello. But you have to start moving in this understanding that you are here for a purpose, here in the body of Christ to do something. And when you start moving, then other things open up to you. When I became a follower of Christ, I just wanted to give my life to God. And so I did. I said a prayer. Okay, yeah, I want this. And then I remembered someone else would say, yeah, you know, if you want to give your life so that you can be committed to God, like, yeah, I want to do that. Well, I already did it, but I just wanted to do it again. It's like, I still want to do it. And if you feel like you're called, you know, to, to the mission field, yeah, I think I'm called. Yeah, I'll go. I'm called to the mission. And if you're called, to, I, it's like, how many callings are there? Because I'm in. Okay, I'm in all of them. Whatever he wants, I'm in. And I just remember, I, I'm there. Whatever God wants, I'm there. It doesn't matter if it's mission. It doesn't matter if it's ministry. I'm there. I just want to be a part of whatever God's doing, and I'll do it. And things just happen when you're just wanting to be there. I'm here. I have no qualifications to be here. Just thought I'd let you all know that. But I'm here. Because I just want to be all in. I just want to be there. I want to be committed to what God wants to do. And so I'm there. And we're all supposed to do that. See, in our contact with each other, we touch God and we're touched by God. We're not perfect, but the closer we get to the idea of what God wants us to be, the more we'll become a place of safety for the people around us. We'll become a haven. We'll become the place where people want to go because I'm family there. I can be real. Is there anywhere that you feel free to be yourself? Be honest? To let your hair down, so to speak? To to speak the things that are really on your mind? To open up? To... Let your soul express itself. Is there any place that you can do that? The church at its best is supposed to be that place. It's not only God's home, it's the embodiment of Jesus. You're gifted already. God is using you in the lives of others so what is important is that you live the truth. Which means you live true to God, to yourself, to others, every moment of your life. That way you can be useful to the work of God. And we want this to be a place where everyone feels at home. Everyone feels safe. I don't care where you're coming from. We will not condemn you. We care more about you than about what you're doing. Because that's how God starts. How are you? And then it'll affect what we do. Let's pray. God, sometimes it feels overwhelming, like you're calling me to to more than I am qualified to. But Lord, help us to understand that you have gifted us, that you have qualified us already. And what needs to happen is we, we need to grow, we need to mature, and we, we need to make mistakes so that we can learn where we don't belong and we can take steps in a different direction where we can develop our gifts. And so I pray tonight that everyone here, Lord, that you have spoken to our hearts 
and give us a, a spiritual nudge, a spiritual boost saying, go for it. Go ahead, take the step. Go ahead, make a commitment to me. To be useful to me. And Lord, may that step result in health to the people around us. May it result in a community that is genuine, that is truthful, that is truthful in love. May your characteristics be evident in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.